0: Hello there, and welcome to the How to Market Your Horse Business podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me here today. As you've likely guessed by now, my name is Denise Alvarez, and I have the honor to host you here each week. And just in case we are new friends, I will quickly tell you about my business and then jump into today's episode with a new friend that I have for you. All right. So, as I said, my name is Denise, and through my business, Storm Lily Marketing, I get to help horse business owners like you to turn your website into your customers and to really clarify your messaging and your marketing through coaching as well as website design and content and Social Stride, my monthly coaching program. I do each of these things because I want to help you all to be out doing more of what you love to do, right? I know that marketing isn't everybody's favorite thing. But as a horse business owner, I know that you get it, right? And so I want to help you do more of the horsey stuff, and I'll do the marketing, right? Or at least coach you in it and help make it easier. So here on the podcast, you can definitely expect step-by-step strategies and basic how-tos to help you not only see what's possible for your business, but also to guide you through the process to make it happen. Now, as I said, you know that I'm all about helping you do more of what you love. And that's why this week on the podcast, we're diving into something that I actually don't typically talk about. I would not consider myself an investment expert or a money maven. And besides that, this is the How to Market Your Horse Business podcast, right? But I have a guest today who is an expert in the topic of money mindsets, specifically when it comes to investing your money. Now, I'm not talking about stocks, She actually is a real estate investor, and she was brought to me by a friend of a friend kind of thing, and I'm so glad that she was because she's not just a real estate investor. She's a horse person, so she gets you, right? Now, Ashley Wilson has over 10 years of real estate experience, and as you will hear, she's been involved in millions of dollars of transactions within both single and multifamily real estate She gets family business as she co-founded Bar Down Investments, her company with her husband, Kyle. And she also co-founded a high-end flipping business with her dad. So she gets family businesses. She gets building a business from scratch. And like I said, she gets horses and horse people. She is a lifelong equestrian that's been around plenty of horse business owners over the years. So she knows many of the hangups that might be keeping you from building the horse business of your dreams when it comes to your money mindset. And that's why we're getting super practical in our conversation today. Ashley is not here to tell you how to invest in real estate, although that might be what she does in her business and obviously does it well. She's actually here to help shift your mindset in some very practical ways that will help you to make your money work for you which she will explain exactly what that means and what that looks like. Because the reality is you actually could make a lot of money in your horse business, but if you aren't intentional about how you're spending it, saving it or investing it, then is it really helping you to build a sustainable business in the long run? Now, of course, that means you're going to keep in mind your goals, right? The goals for your own particular business as you listen to these things from Ashley. So before we get to the interview, I definitely want to make sure that you know that I have a free goal setting cheat sheet that might be very helpful to you as a part of this conversation, as a complimentary part of this conversation, right? So as you listen to Ashley share about some specific strategies about being money wise in your horse business. I want you to listen to that through the filter of the goals that you have for your business, because it's going to be different for every horse business owner, right? So stormlily.com slash goals is where you can head to get your free goal setting cheat sheet. Of course, I will have a link to it in the show notes, which will be stormlily.com slash 91. So be sure and go and grab that, whether it's before you even complete this episode or afterwards, because I really think that as you apply what you are learning, keeping those goals for your business front and center are going to make the biggest difference. All right. I so appreciate that Ashley is bringing a wealth of wisdom, but also breaking things down so you can expect some practical nuggets here. So here is my interview with Ashley Wilson. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. I so appreciate your gift of time.
1: Thank you so much, Denise, for having me. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I love to have my guests introduce themselves actually and share a little bit about your background. And so you are different than many of my previous guests and that while you are an equestrian, it is your hobby and not your business to be with horses. And I love that. But at the same time, your hobby gives you a lot of background and a unique perspective that I think my listeners will appreciate. So what you actually do for your job is centered around investment and real estate investment. So share with us a little bit about your background and how you became a real estate investment
1: expert. Absolutely. I'll kind of do it in parallel with my writing experience. Oh, fun. Okay. So, to kind of hopefully bridge the gap. But um, I started writing when I was four years old. My mom wanted something that we could do together when I was um, going through teenage years and not wanting to be around my mom to bring us together. So, she picked writing as something that um, we could do together. It was something she always wanted to do when she was growing up. So she thought it would be great for the two of us to do together. And it has been obviously my lifelong passion. I am very obsessed with horses and riding. And, um, I am, uh, just, just, I, I can't say enough about how much writing has taught me about hard work, discipline, um, empathy, um, you know, really, uh, about perfecting and patience and just a lot of different lifelong skills. Um, but, um, my background was with writing, um, was such that I was not in a privileged situation, meaning that, um, writing was a, a sacrifice, um, for my parents because it was so, it was so expensive, so um, growing up, I had to um, work to be able to ride. I worked off um, my lessons. I worked off board. My mom dropped me at um, at the barn every single morning during the summers um, when I was out of school, starting in middle school, and I rode all the green horses and then worked around the barn. And then she would pick me up on the way home from work. Um, so about a 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. shift, which is mm-hmm. a lot yeah. for a young kid. And I did that um, through most of my summers and both of my parents worked, but they were very supportive of us, my brother and myself. And my father um, was a is a general contractor. He's at his own business for... Over 40 years, and he's worked with um, different investors, and he's worked on high-end homes, and he's worked in commercial. So, you know, I was in this situation where you know we grew up um, in a very low uh, middle-class, I would say even po- you know poor um, situation, but I was in a sport that most people think that only you know. Um, the uber wealthy can, um, do. And then, you know, with my dad, I saw people who were investors who were very successful and, um, they were making money through real estate. Um, so I kind of had this two different vantage points and it bridged the gap. That's where the gap mm. was bridged. I, um, after high school, I attended Colgate university I actually got a scholarship to play field hockey there, and I um, originally thought I wanted to be a neuropsychologist and study concussion syndromes in professional athletes. And right after I graduated from school, I took a year off and worked at Santa Fe Aventis in the clinical R and D department for um, neuroscience and psychology. And I was convinced at that time to not go that route, but instead pursue a pharmaceutical um, path, um, in research and development. And I chose that path. Um, you know, it was very lucrative. I got my master's in parallel. Um, I, I got my master's full-time while going to work full-time and all of a sudden I found myself in this golden handcuff situation. So I was working hundreds of hours a week and I did not have time for my family. I, you know, I was, um, Dating my now husband, and then we were engaged and married. And I was working constantly um, for the pursuit of, you know, having enough money to be able to ride. You know, to have this passion play out. But I didn't. I didn't even have the time to ride because I was working so much. I was working so hard for this capital. And my husband, he um, was doing well with his career. So uh, we both we're working really hard but our money was sitting idle and um what we started researching was where can we have our money start to work for us and we obviously looked at the traditional um routes which were inclusive of the stock market and bonds and and the traditional um you know index funds and that that pathway but then we also looked at alternative investments and what we um, eventually decided on and thought that it matched what we wanted out of life, which was uh, having our money work hard for us instead of having our us work hard for our money, was real estate. It has a lot of tax advantages. It's an asset-backed investment. It has depending on the asset class, there are all different asset classes within real estate. Um, there are stability at the end of the day. We, we now invest in apartments um you know, and everyone needs a home. so uh, there's just a lot of great components of real estate that we were not really shown that that was something we could do growing up. Um, we saw other people doing it, but we thought it was for, only wealthy people. And what we realized is the exact opposite, you actually don't need any money to get started in real estate. So um, we quickly turned to real estate and started investing past, you know, on a side, I wouldn't say it was passive, but we started with a couple short-term rentals. We did what's called house hacking. So we bought our first place together and then we rented out other rooms. And that offset all of our expenses and then some. So we were basically being paid to live. At our place. Um, and that just quickly snowballed into um, I started a flipping business with my father. Um, you know, obviously, he's an expert at renovation. So it was a no brainer to partner with him. And I started a flipping business with him in 2014 that has done quite well. And then four years ago, I transitioned into commercial real estate and we started buying large apartment buildings. So we are approaching fifteen hundred units, um, over hundred million in um, asset value, um, and that's all through, um, you know, just one step at a time. But at the same time, it's all about being creative on how you structure um, your investing strategy so that you can propel your ability to get to financial freedom. And take your time back.
0: Okay, that's all super interesting. And I love that you incorporated the writing so that I know my listeners appreciate and can identify with and understand a lot of what you were saying. I know, you know, having to work off your board and just that idea of all the life skills that you learned are so true, right? For everybody. And we love that. And we know that that was probably a big part of what made you such a hard worker later on in life. And now, of course, as well, but maybe you're not having to work those hundreds of hours a week anymore. Um, But it helped you to know what you did and did not want to do, right? And I love that. And so as we were chatting, right, about having you onto the podcast, we were talking about how the equine industry is definitely for many people of a profession where it is physical labor. It is that time for dollar, um, where you were talking about, right. Where you worked the hours to get the income. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way long-term. And so that's why I love what you're bringing to the table about investing so that, um, horse, equine entrepreneurs, horse business owners can make their money work for them as they continue to work and do what they love as well. But it's just another, a different way, I think, to think about things in a unique approach that maybe not everybody has. Um, but I think you have such beautiful insights to share with us today about that.
1: Yeah, so I have witnessed trainer after trainer work until they can no longer physically work. And it's, um, it's not right. There's a better way. Um, so no matter where you are in your journey um you know as listening to this show whether you're just getting started or you have been doing this for 60 years you still have the opportunity to um, start to have your money work for you um i think it's about getting creative and and being disciplined those two um life skills um, can really, provide that freedom for you. Um, so you can pick when you retire. Um, so let's start with, for example, if someone owns their own property or rents their own property, um, you know, has a horse business and maybe has a stable and um, some acreage, there are ways in which you can get creative in terms of renting out spaces on that property. So let's say for example that you have a field that doesn't get used that often is it possible that you could potentially take another field make it a little bit smaller still have you know change the turnout schedule a little bit but that one field then opens up and you can run dog agility um out of there not meaning that you physically run it but you lease it to um, an organization that does like dog shows or dog agility um, competitions you can also rent out Um, parts of your land to other farmers to grow crops, or there are a lot of um, micro crops coming up um, with a lot of like the gen, I don't even know what letter we're on, like gen Z or whatever um, (laughs) group uh, that's coming up. And um, they might be interested. So there's ways in which you can, you know, parcel out your land. If you have an indoor, maybe you can run a uh, wedding venues and um, have uh, wedding receptions there where someone rents the facility, they have to bring down, you know, bring in flooring and you can put all these things in place to kind of leverage what you already have. That's, that's an example of getting creative. Um, now I'm not saying that this doesn't come with some headaches. Um, potential headaches, but at the same time, just putting together these um, opportunities provides other income streams. And that's what you're trying to do is trying to create as many income streams as possible without you being the operator of those income streams. Another example of something you can do is that when you're first starting out, We tend to live as we, I mean, humans tend to live within whatever our means are. So, as we make more money, we typically spend more money. But when you're first starting out, if you get very disciplined about this, is how much I'm going to live off of, and everything else I'm going to put aside for a bit, and um, I'm going to use that capital to eventually invest along a property or um, or project. You can you can do that. You can be um, providing capital to someone else who's actively investing, let's say, in real estate right now with interest rates, the interest rate hikes, that's making it more and more lucrative for someone to be a lender. So you don't need like hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can even loan out, let's say, $10,000 or $25,000, a smaller capital amount. And even if you had the wherewithal to do more than that, you could lend a smaller amount until you get comfortable with that person or the idea of it. Um, But you can charge some pretty high rates. So when you're... um, acting as a private money lender you can actually um, charge uh based off of someone's experience so for example let's say my dad and i were doing a project and we needed some hard money or private money we could approach you and and you could say okay i you know i have $10,000 i can lend you but you know i'm going to charge one point of origination which would be $1,000 just for the ability to loan, you know, obtain a loan from you. And then um, let's say, for example, you want to charge nine or 10% interest. Um, So we would have to make interest payments to you until whatever the term of that loan is, and then um, pay off, you know, as long as the term allowed to do an early pre pay, um, an early payoff, you could do something like that, or you could structure it for a longer Term loan, but what you want to do is create opportunities in which you can um, you can get your money working for you, especially in this inflationary environment. Any money that's sitting idle is actually losing money. Um, so another thing too, I know a lot, a lot, a lot of um, uh, people in this industry have been in the industry for a long time, and growing up the old um, you know um, conditioned um, uh, lessons that we were taught growing up were, you know, don't have a mortgage, pay off your debt, pay off your debt, pay off your debt. Well, if you were um, able to take out a home equity loan um, during the last um, the last uh, you know, lower interest rates and even today, you can create what's called arbitrage, which is you can lend out money, and then make on the spread. So let's say, for example, if you have a five percent interest rate, but you can charge nine percent, you're, you know, to a private, uh, that that example I just gave before, you can make four percent. So you can make on the spread there, approximately four percent. So there's a lot of different ways in which you can kind of get creative, and all of that is to start to build up your um, mailbox money, so to speak and that will allow you to retire sooner. Um, it'll allow you to make deci- you know a lot of different decisions that you may not have made previously. When I worked in pharma, there was a, a leadership training seminar we all had to take. And one of the trainers said, the best decisions you ever make in life are ones that you don't feel financially constrained to make. And I've always um, appreciated that insight because I do think people make decisions um, uh, better decisions or different decisions if they don't feel that it's tied to whether I'm not I'm gonna have money to put food on the table kind of thing um, so I just think that you know we see so many hard workers in this industry and um, they're not exposed and given these opportunities of how they can continue making money for themselves without you know physically um working and that's not the case at all so I am a huge proponent for just providing education to people just to let them know there are other opportunities out there. Um and even when you're in writing if you're you know someone who is on the other side too I have been able to ride um, so much more and have more control over my hobby and my passion because I've been able to figure out all these other ways to make income besides doing a nine to five. And I think that is something my trainer enjoys as well, because it's not like they're trying to cram all these lessons in after 5pm every single day. Um, It it provides more flexibility um, at the barn. There's just a lot of benefits when, um, you know, when, when you have kind of a more um, flexible lifestyle yeah oh, that's all
0: so, so good. I love what you said in the beginning is about getting creative and being disciplined, and I so appreciate the real life examples that you gave. It reminded me um a few months ago, I had Christine on the podcast. who at the time was the national sales manager at Justin Boots, and he was sharing about getting creative about income opportunities as well. And now he had a friend uh, who rented out, you talked about renting out the land. So what he did is actually rent out his cows because 4-H and FFA programs are really booming in Texas right now. And so he actually rents out his animals to people that are in 4-H programs who maybe don't have land and couldn't otherwise participate. Uh, So just another creative example of looking at ways that you can create additional streams of revenue. So I love that. So I asked you to share some tips and strategies that others that are listening that are the everyday horse business owner, right, can keep in mind. And the one you just shared, I know, is a huge mindset shift, right? The idea of not thinking about how you can work for your money, but instead how your money can work for you. Um, And then I know that you talked about the idea of outsourcing. Would you share a little bit more about what that looks like and how that could look for horse businesses?
1: As I have grown my own personal business, I have struggled with this idea of bringing on more help. And I know I need the help. It's just, I look at it as it's more mouths to feed. And I'm very concerned about when I bring on someone, whether or not they're going to contribute to the business. And it was really a mindset shift for me after about two and a half years of struggling with whether or not I should hire someone. Um, that I came up with this saying, well, instead of more mouths to feed, it's more hands to sew. And once I kind of wrapped my head around that, I have been on a hiring frenzy. And what I've realized is every time I hire someone, if they don't significantly contribute to the business, they were the wrong hire. And Whether that is because they were the wrong person or that's the wrong role or I wasn't clear, that's all on me. That's not on them because it's my responsibility to find the right person to make it very clear on what the job entails. And um, I have found that taking that approach and looking at candidates, thinking to myself, are they going to exponentially impact my business? and bring in additional revenue to not only cover their salary, their wage, but to add additional value. Because don't forget that your time is valuable. I mean, as a trainer, you know how much your time is worth because you know how much you charge by the hour, right? When you do a lesson, that's a really good um, measure as to the value of your time. So, if someone just breaks even, they're not helping your business because you've spent time training them, and you need to continue to spend time supporting them and and fostering their development in the in the business. So you need someone who brings value um, past covering their wage, and that's how I look at hiring now. So when I hire someone, they need to provide that extra value. And what I say to myself is, "Am I?" Um, you know, smart enough, intuitive, intuitive enough that I can figure this out in three months or less? Yes. Can I figure out whether or not they're contributing to the business in two months or less? Yes. I have a measure of where I think I know. Typically I know within two weeks to a month max. And can I afford to pay someone for two weeks to a month and be wrong financially? Yes, I can. So to me, it's worth the risk to try to find someone to help, um, to help your business grow. I also have a saying that um, my success is determined by how many times I can fire myself. And what I mean by that is that when I am hiring people, I am typically hiring them to do something that I no longer want or should be doing. So they're replacing whatever I'm doing. And then that frees up my time for a much higher valued task. There's um something that people say in real estate all the time, which is if you're doing some sort of administrative task, so let's you, you know use an analogy with writing here. Let's let's put it in context with writing. If let's say, for example, you're doing the billing, you're um you know, issuing billing statements for horse shows or board or whatever. If that's an administrative task and you can pay someone maybe $20 an hour, I would have said $15 uh, 6 months ago, but with inflation yeah. <laughs> and, and wage growth, let's just say $20 an hour you could pay someone. And let's say that you can charge $75 to $100. Let's say you can charge $100 an hour on a lesson. You're really being paid $20 an hour every time you do billing. So you may charge hundred dollars, but you're doing a task that's only twenty dollars in value. So what if you outsource that to a you know your tax accounting firm because the ta- your tax accounting firm, whoever handles your taxes, and hopefully you're not doing them doing them yourselves because typically they're super complicated. So if you're using a Tax accounting firm, they typically have accountants that you can hire. Not you don't have to hire them full time. You can hire them on a very um, you know, uh, finite set of hours. So let's say you hire them for two hours a month. And even if they charge you $30 or $40 an hour, that's frees up two hours of your time. It, it's probably frees up more than that because accountants are going to be experts at that. So they're what will take them two hours will probably take you four hours. Right. Um, I don't typically find that, um, trainers and people in the horse industry are also, you know, savvy accountants and, and, and super, you know, um, skilled when it comes to tech, I'm not saying everyone, I'm just saying that when you do something so well, typically you don't do, everything to that expert level. Normally you're an expert at one thing and you might be great at a couple other things and good at other things, but you're normally not an expert at everything. So I think something like that, like an example like that would free up your time and it allows you to, um, find other ways that you can use your time for a higher value and get more of a return. So it not only covers that person, but that, um, but then you also too can hopefully bring in maybe you that frees up two hours on a Sunday that you can now or four hours, you know, if I'm using the example that I gave before, maybe that frees up four hours of your time that now you can run a clinic on your property and get two grand from having a clinic run during that day when otherwise you would have been doing the accounting for the barn. Um yeah. so just kind of looking at situations like that.
0: Yeah, that's, those are great, such concrete examples. I so appreciate that. And it's so true. And for those of you all that are listening and you decide, okay, yes, I've been thinking about that. I do think I should get some help. Um, my encouragement is to you is when you do that is do what Ashley is saying and then be intentional about how you're going to spend your time. Because what often happens is great, we hire some help, but then we forget to get out of the weeds, right? We forget to get out of that area and get to the money-making zone or get to the zone where you're adding the most value or where you can bring in the most income for your business. And if you don't do that, then it's not a true trade-off and you're not really going to see that added revenue come in. But if you can bring somebody in and you can entrust them, right, then you can move out of the weeds and actually create more income for your business. So that's so, so true. And I appreciate those examples. What about the idea of marketing? I know that was the third thing that you had mentioned to me. Uh, Tell me about how that plays into just a money mindset shift for horse business owners and how marketing really has an impact on that.
1: Absolutely. I just want to add one thing to something that you just said, um, and then I'll switch over to the marketing. Um, There is a book um, called one minute manager. um, Leading high performance teams, and I read it about I want to say fifteen years or so ago, and there is this graph in the book that um, is excellent, and it um, it applies to every single business and pretty much life in general. Um, so it's this quadrant of. Um, on the, you know, on the one axis, whether it's X or Y, it does it's irrelevant. It speaks to um, someone's experience from high to low, um, who you're hiring, and then on the opposite axis, it speaks to the level of support that they need. So when you hire someone with um, no experience, they need a very high supportive environment. They need a lot of. Um, guidance they need a lot of um you know hand holding but as they continue on that continuum through the quadrant when they get to a little bit more experience they need less um, micromanaging and when you hire someone who's very experienced they need more hands-off like you, now you're talking about delegating. And then finally, when you hire the most experienced, you got to give them that autonomy. And too many times, and I have to say this, in my opinion, it's probably one of the things that I see the most common in, horse in, in the horse industry and trainers complaining about assistant trainers or other people at the barn is this mismatch of management versus experience. So really... Hone in on the experience level that you are wishing to hire and then match the support that that experience warrants. I see too many trainers and support staff micromanage experience work and vice versa. And everyone just gets frustrated. And that's why I think there's a lot of bouncing around in the industry. The the barns that have it right are typically the barns who match the communication and the support perfectly with their staff and whether it's give them the autonomy to, you know, with grooms where the groom knows the horse, you know, so um, they, I've seen it two ways. I've seen the trainer kind of, you know, tell the groom what to do when the groom really knows what to do. Um, And that creates an issue. And I've seen the other way where, you know, like they need more support and they're nowhere to be found. So I just would want to say that too, because that's a huge component to having a successful business.
0: Yeah, that's such good insight. I appreciate you sharing that. I'll make sure and link to that book in the show notes um, as well for this episode so that everybody can go check that out. But that's, that's great. That's golden, golden nuggets, Ashley. Thank you for
1: sharing that. Absolutely. Um, So switching over to marketing, I know you asked that. Um, I always think that if you show me a good marketing team, I'll show you a good business because today marketing is everything. There is a reason why we have so many kids becoming multimillionaires through social media. And that is because that is where everyone is going um, I think covid propelled that because so many people were sitting idle at home and they needed to be entertained and Hollywood was on break because no one was filming anything and putting out new content so the content creators became us the everyday people and then fi- next step was people became celebrities by doing that so um, I think that when you have a very strong marketing team and you may say to yourself well that's you know next level it's not next level there it's very when people say um, to me, well, what do you know about this barn? If they have really good marketing, I can tell you their barn colors. I can tell you their logo. I can tell you the trainer's name. I can tell you where they're located. And I may not have ever ridden with them or competed against them, mm-hmm. but it's because when you um, you know go on these social media platforms, they pay for sponsored ads. They um, you know at the horse shows all the coolers match all the you know the barn um drapes and everything um are all monogrammed and cohesive and um but mostly the social media side of things um with all the content creation it grabs people's attention and um it does a very good job of um of really bringing in business, um, to barns and organizations. So you might not even, I I might not even be talking about, um, like actual clients for your barn, but if you're talking even about, um, getting creative with additional space, having a lot of, um, marketing out there, you will be surprised how many reach out to you As well. So it's not about pushing, okay, well, my indoor is available. Someone might see a picture of an indoor and say, wow, that's gorgeous. I want to have my wedding there. And they reach out to you and they say, I'll pay you $10,000 just for, you know, three hours uh, use of that indoor for for our our reception. Um, You know, so it's things like that um, where marketing can really propel your business forward.
0: Yeah, that's so good and so true. And so many people, which is why I started this podcast, right? Marketing can be overwhelming for so many people. Um, but the reality is, is one step at a time and every little bit really does count. And so, you know, for anyone that's listening saying, okay, I hear you. I've been nervous to try it out. Um, then definitely, you know, reach out to me if you have any questions, visit my website, Uh, There's a getting free getting started guide, but you know, when you start to really figure out who it is you're wanting to reach and you figure out the elements, like Ashley was talking about the branding elements and the logo and the design, but also the messaging and all those things begin to come together, then you really will start to connect with the right people. And it may bring in new people that you would otherwise never meet. Um, so you are absolutely right. It's a huge, huge component um, when creating just a long-term strategy for your business, which is what I love that you're talking about today. It's yes, your, your background is Investments, but you obviously have a mindset of, you know, just thinking strategically about your business. And so I think horse businesses could absolutely benefit from that. I so appreciate you sharing these things, Ashley. Before we close out, I always like to just give an open door and ask if there's anything else that you have in mind or that you think my listeners should know. Um, It can be about investment and real estate planning, but it also could just be about overall business practices as well, because you obviously can speak to both very clearly.
1: Thank you very much. Um, I just think that so many people get turned off by thinking, um, oh, I don't have enough money, or oh, I'm too old, or oh, I'm too young. What I have found is that whatever your mind is saying to you right now, that is the wrong self-talk on convincing you why you shouldn't do something. Whether it's you're interested, if you have any interest and you've gotten to this far in the show listening, that means you're you're part of you is intrigued. And whether it be this show or another show, just, I think it's always worth taking a chance. It doesn't matter if you're um, older or younger or have money or don't have money. Those are the most common. That's why I keep going back to those things. Those are the most common reasons people are reluctant to get started on something new. But I think that um, if you really put your energy into something. You, um, seek advice, um, from people and you'll find the right people. I always say you're the average of the five that you spend the most time with. So keep looking for those good five people, um, and keep expanding your network. You can get to where you want to be. Um, so don't let anyone tell you otherwise. If I had let people tell me, um, Well, this is the way it's done. This is the way it's always been done. I can tell you, I would not be on this podcast today. I was told when I first got started in real estate, you can't get a bank loan until you have two years of tax returns. I barely had one year of tax returns and I got a bank loan. And how did I do it? I kept asking until someone told me yes. But no one else had done that before. Everyone else had just said, well, the industry states that you need two years of tax returns until you can access a bank loan to finance a construction deal. And I just said, that's impossible. There's gotta be, there's gotta be a bank. There has to be a bank that is willing to do it. And I just kept asking until someone said yes. And that's what I think you have to do is you just keep banging down doors until you get to where you want to be. And don't let anyone tell you that it's not possible because there's always someone who makes it possible that everyone else then follows.
0: Mm, That's good. That's really good closing advice. And it is so much... So much of what you said, it's so about that mindset, right? What you just talked about was that idea of negative self-talk and and telling yourself what's true and what's possible instead. Um, So I so appreciate your example of that and for you taking the time to share. Before we go, Ashley, would you tell everybody where they can find you online, your website, all the good things. And then, of course, I will link to each of those on the show notes at stormlily.com slash 89 for anyone listening. But if you'd like to go straight there, Ashley, tell them where they can go.
1: You can check out my website at bar down investments. So that's B-A-R down D-O-W-N Investments.com. And then if you are on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you can follow me at badashinvestor. Or it's not com, but I do have a website, badashinvestor.com investor.com. <laughs> so um,
0: but badash investor. Okay, perfect. And like I said, I'll link to each of those as well. Ashley, I thank you so much for you sharing today. And I know that my listeners will not just be encouraged, but they will be challenged in their thinking and in their strategies. And I so appreciate
1: that. Thank you so much again for having me on.
0: What I tell you, friends? I hope that you really enjoyed that interview with Ashley and my conversation with her. But more than that, I hope that you are walking away inspired to take action. Now I know that Ashley shared a number of different things. And so I do not ever want you to walk away from the podcast overwhelmed. So my encouragement to you is to pick one thing that you want to start taking action on right now. Okay, now of course, keeping in mind your goals. So if you have not yet grabbed your goal setting cheat sheet, go to stormlily.com goals and grab that or go to stormlily.com dot com slash 91, and I'll have the link there in the show notes as well. So as you're taking action, take action with the things that are going to get you closer to the goals and the dreams that you have for your family and for your business, because that's what you just heard Ashley has done. There were things that she was told she couldn't do, but because she knew where she was headed and what she wanted, she was able to make it happen, right? And I know that you can do the same. So I am encouraging you to take action, keep moving forward, doing what you need to do to make progress and take the steps necessary to help you to build the dream business that you know you're going to love for your horse business, right? And I know again, that that does not look the same for every single person, but I do know that the things that you learned today can apply regardless. All right. So I would love to hear from you. If this conversation was helpful to you, then would you let me know? I'd love to hear from you on Instagram, Stormelly Marketing, or via email, denise at stormelly.com. I'm always here for you. And of course, if it was helpful, let Ashley know as well. All right. I'm so glad you joined me here today. I hope you will continue to come back as we are getting ready to dive into some social media focused episodes. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, go have fun with your horses. All right. I'll see you here next week.